0: Are you thinking about how lucky BC is to have a team of great team-based care coaches? Are you wanting to hear more about their experience coaching distributed teams? Yeah, me too. Welcome to Team Up, a podcast where we talk about team-based primary care in British Columbia.
1: I'm Sarah, a medical anthropologist and team member in the Innovation Support Unit in the Department of Family Practice at the University of British Columbia.
0: And I'm Morgan a family doctor, and also a team member in the Innovation Support Unit.
1: Practice Support Coaches have been instrumental in supporting primary care providers and primary care transformation in BC. Recently, a new team of team-based care coaches has been set up to really focus on supports for teams and team-based care. Morgan and I recently had the opportunity to connect with some of the team-based care coaches And we're able to do this in kind of a roundtable format. So this episode is gonna be a little different. Morgan, we've had the opportunity to work quite closely with a number of practice support or PSP coaches and the newly formed team-based care coaches in the province.
0: That's right. A good chunk of the work we do in the ISU is focused on primary care transformation and developing those new tools to help address community-identified gaps. Often the coaches providing that at-the-elbow support for teams then take these tools and ideas and use them to support teams across the whole province.
1: Now, I've been thinking about this new team based care coach role as kind of a super coach. It was great to sit down with several of the coaches, as well as Aaron Lutz, the manager of the practice support delivery program for team based care with the doctors of BC.
2: The team based care coaches provide that direct day-to-day mentoring, supporting change management, supporting that move towards a collaborative leadership approach and practice, really helping with team development, communication, workflow, really supporting those cultural and functional changes that need to happen at the practice level to move towards a team-based approach.
0: And what the coaches are able to do is work with teams to help them where they're at in their journey because team-based care is a shift for many, particularly in primary care. For me, it isn't just a group practice of family doctors or family doctors and MOAs working together. When I talk about team-based care, it's that interdisciplinary team, family docs, nurses, pharmacists, social workers, nurse practitioners, and MOAs working together to support a group of patients.
1: And in BC, I think people are fairly familiar with the practice support role if, if they're in primary care and really supporting quality improvement efforts in clinics and that kind of at the elbow coaching support. The team-based care role is new. So we asked Erin to tell us a bit more about the new team-based care shift in coaching supports in BC. Recently,
2: we've really shifted in how we support primary care with the practice support program and moving it to doctors of BC so we're really actually moving towards that team-based approach ourselves and how we do it for our team-based care coaches we really are focusing on that team development that working towards becoming an interdisciplinary team and so really that collaborative care planning how are we communicating what are the workflows,
1: The team-based care coaches are also working together with practice support coaches to form a team of supports to help practices work better together. We might bring in a
2: panel coach to understand who are your patients, who are the ones that you want to work on together as a team, and how do we identify them. Use a health technology coach to really understand how are we going to optimize the electronic medical record in practice to support the communication and the workflow for the team.
0: Aaron described the range of coaching supports that are currently available in BC, and not just the team-based care coaches. These different supports can work together to provide more comprehensive support for a clinic. Now, many of these coaches have experienced working with different kinds of primary care clinics and teams, and we asked the group to highlight what kinds of things they've seen that have been working well.
3: I think one of the key things is being involved early with the group and having a relationship with them. It's that trust. One of the groups I'm working with, I've been working in the community for a number of years. So when I started doing some team-based care supports with them, I had relationship with physicians and with the PCN manager. So that certainly helped in understanding the landscape and being able to maybe push a little bit and challenge them. When I could see areas where they were getting a little bit stuck or wanting to stay in some comfortable
1: patterns that weren't as beneficial to the team. That was Ann Robinson, who's recently moved over to the team-based care coach role after working as a practice support coach. Morgan, I think the relationship piece is just so key. Knowing the context of a community and what kind of other challenges there might be, like who's leaving, who's new, that kind of information can be so valuable.
0: Yeah, coaching primary care is the, it's a long game. It's a relationship game. It's working with people, helping them to learn how they can improve, showing them where they've come from and where they're going. sometimes the barriers are technology and some of the barriers are knowing why other team members can help in primary care.
3: I'm actually going to go back a couple of years to a team I, I worked with very early on in my role as a coach. And it was with a pharmacist working with a number of different clinics. One of the key successes was helping them overcome how do we do the technology when we come from different organizations where our technology needs or requirements might be different. And then, you know, helping the clinic itself with the MOAs, understanding why the pharmacist was there and how could the MOAs help by setting up appointments. That was one of my early successes and Again, everybody had a role and everybody was important in making that a success. And everybody had to have that open mindset that we're going to learn this together
1: and we're going to keep trying till it works. That's a great example of the importance of figuring out those communication pieces across a team. This idea of team-based care and building a team being a process that happens over time is something else that really stands out to me here. And on the flip side, I think a lot of what coaches are often brought into support is when things clearly aren't going well. Communication
4: lapses can happen and the flow from the allied professional providing documentation back about the patient to the GP and vice versa. That's a conversation that I do start early where there may be Issues about, are we doing documentation in the same EMR? How do I get access? How do I chart? Are we charting the same way? Are we doing referral letters or consults back to the GP? How to get them to not do things so separately and
1: find that cohesion to communication. That was Carly Reynolds, another team-based care coach who had been with the PSP for about three and a half years before shifting to the new role of team-based care coach.
0: Cohesion to communication. I love that it can definitely be challenging in distributed teams with different people and even different organizations communicating in different ways. So teams need to do early work in defining clear pathways. we'll put some links in the show notes on some specific communication resources. And Part of that early work is foundations and team norms, something that Lindsay Ferguson really wanted to highlight in her experience and success with distributed teams
2: making sure that team norms are set and expectations are set. And it's getting the ideology and the mindset that The patient isn't physician-owned, they're team-owned. Role clarity, expectations is very key. Taking it down to the fundamentals, the foundations of why they are working as a team. I always like to use the analogy of, you know, like a coliseum. You know, you have all these pillars, and if you take one away, that structure isn't strong. But working together, you have this strong foundation which can hold anything. Setting up strong rapport, strong team unity, and collaboration, I think, is key.
0: I know being philosophically aligned about how we provide care is such a core foundation. It's the why we're here and what we do, what value we bring as a team.
4: So one of the things I use, I like to talk about team values. So the team as a whole, what is your objective? How how do you want to work together? So very basic things like you know, honesty, collaboration, team unity, that kind of stuff. And, and I find it's a really good jumping point. It's sort of an icebreaker. Actually, I do have an example about a group that is not working well together. And I really sat and I listened to them and I realized they needed to dial all the way back to when they first started working in the clinic, working together. What are their values? What do they want to happen at the clinic? What is their sort of mission statement And when they shouted that out, we realized that all of them, their foundation was exactly the same. They actually wanted to practice the same, but they'd let random things like COVID stress for sure. A little bit of hierarchy stuff had gotten in the way. And they kind of sat back and went, wow, okay, we have the basis here. We need to just build up on that again. Find our groove as a team.
3: And and building on the values and mission, one of the things I found very helpful for teams to do fairly early on is those simple rules or agreements that they're going to support each other with. Those are the things that actually help draw them together and help the foundation for
1: why they're doing the work they are together. And you know, Morgan, those foundational pieces, along with the communications, are just so important. And also, of course, is how teams are connecting and coordinating, Karen. We've talked about team huddles, I know, a lot. And we aren't the only ones who, you know, come back to team huddles frequently. And here's Aaron's take. One of the
2: things that we talk about is around team huddles and how do you do that in a distributed team? And to me, I think you can do them. Easily in person and easily distributed too. And it's just having the technology and using it. And people always think about huddles as that morning huddle, but we also talk about that end of week huddle. So to have that opportunity to debrief and not carry that home. And so that also creates a bit of that psychological safety in a team where we can have those conversations together. And so trying to schedule those at the end of the week as much as possible so people have that opportunity to connect again before they head off for the weekend And really build that safety and that honesty together as a team and bringing it back to the patients all the time. That's why we're here as well. So dialing it back, like Carly said, and leveling out and flattening out the hierarchy that might have been created in various different ways within the team structure.
1: And what I hear is kind of a thread through all of this is really that relationship piece, right? The relationship that the coaches have with the team, those efforts to build relationship across the team and in the team, and then thinking about the different stages of team development.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the relationship piece is so important. We've spent a lot of time on that. And I think making that time to work on being a team, even if you're an existing team, that's important. Now, when we're used to being a family doctor and MOA dyad, or or a group of family doctors in a clinic with MOAs, and another clinician comes in to work with you with a different approach and a bit of a different culture, and maybe even less primary care experience, we might think that we know how to work together, but usually we don't.
4: There's two examples. One of them had the RN come in, The clinic was like, hey, we've got this. We don't need to have all the pre-meetings. We don't need to have, you know, PSP support. And we realized that when the RN came in, there was zero communication about how they wanted to function, what the RN could do, scope and role. It was very confusing and it was doubling up the documentation, doubling up the time the patient was there and the time and effort of both RN and GP.
0: It can be very confusing if you don't know what each person is doing. But if you start together or work on building a team, well, Carly has seen how different this can be.
4: Then the second clinic had a, had an RN. Right from the beginning, There we were involved. The They met as a team. I think it was for an hour once every week or every other week just to say, hey, what's going well, what's not going well. And they are flowing so efficiently and they need to start with communication and ask for help when they need it. So
1: luckily we were brought in right from the beginning. I can see the difference that makes. And it's so easy to skip that, I think, especially if you've done it once and you've already figured it out one time. But we always say that, you know, if you change one person in the team, you change a team.
0: And this ties back to role clarity again. I think a great role for the team-based care coaches is as facilitators to help distributed clinical teams work on figuring out roles across the team?
2: Maybe we think that the RN or the social worker are working to their full scope, but maybe they don't think so. Maybe they say, I have some specialty training. And so bringing those opportunities back and having those continued conversations, and you can do this distributed. I've seen this in a community where they have a nurse that's working across multiple clinics that is not co-located in the clinic and a social worker. And they've been working really hard around identifying all the patients in those clinics around COPD and then really setting some targets and thinking about how they're going to support them using the whole team. And so you don't need to be co-located to do that. They've done some iterative sessions with team mapping and also used some of the practice support programs, COPD tools, and really kind of
1: coming together around this.
0: It's great to see the team-based care coaches, their whole array of at-the-elbow supports.
1: Yeah, and really they're they're so uniquely positioned in BC with this understanding of how the team-based care transition is happening on the ground.
2: We're trying to change a system that's been in place for over 60 years and it's complex system transformation and it takes time and change is uncomfortable. And I think it's important to recognize that.
0: As keen and upbeat as we are in this podcast, we also know that change is hard. And yet we have a big opportunity here right now to make a positive shift. In our conversation, we asked the coaches what they see as the biggest opportunities in primary care and particularly around team-based care that they would love to see happen in the landscape in BC?
3: For me it's it's just helping this is the new model or the new transformation. It's our health professionals, it's the public. And I think often we put the patient at the center, but we forget to communicate with them about what we're doing systems wide. I agree with Ruth Ann, it's really That, how are we
2: communicating this to the public? Because we are hearing we need more family doctors. I think, yes, and we need to work differently and work more efficient and just do the full system transformation. We haven't been communicating what we're doing in a way that I think is understandable to the general. Public. And I think we're just so entrenched in this work and we're heads down. And so having people really get to that comfort level, I think we're there with nurse practitioners. People understand and are happy to have a nurse practitioner or a family physician, but get them comfortable to you're going to go to the, your doctor's office and you might see the RN today, or you might see the social worker and you might not see the doctor at all. And that's okay. Or you might see the pharmacist because the pharmacist is the best person to be having your conversation about your medications. When I say I work on team-based care, people don't know what that means. And so how are we explaining that to people, I think, is really important. And I think also, for me, this work takes time. And unfortunately, we're in a situation in our province where we're under a lot of pressure. For the people, when we're going in and we're working with teams and having them start shifting towards this work, understanding it is uncomfortable at first, and there is a lot of upfront work. But when we get towards the other end of it, we promise, we know, we know it's going to be better. Then I think we still have some big system barriers that we need to move, and we, we know what those are, and we're working towards shifting those. But really understanding all the different ways that we can work as a team to support the patients is really important.
0: There was so much to get to listen to in this conversation. It's great to hear the TBC coaches' perspectives and experiences. And Sarah, rather than a call to action for this episode, I'm wondering if a summary of all the different takeaways would be good.
1: Yeah, I think that would be great.
0: So I mean, first there's the foundations of why are we here? What's our purpose as a team? And then building those relationships up, personal relationships between different members of the team. And then as you always talk about communication, coordination is critical.
1: And I think an important part of that, but a little bit separate is this idea of role clarity and the overarching idea that developing a team is a process that takes time. So if you wanna think about kind of a call to action, you can pick one of these key areas and take a look at the tools and resources that we're gonna link to in the show notes. As always, let us know how it goes. And we're actually coming to the close of season three soon. And we'd love to hear ideas from you about what to focus on next for season four reach out to ISU at familymed.ubc.ca.
0: Thanks for listening to the end. And if you like this kind of episode too, let us know. We'll see you in the next one.